What we choose to wear is important. What we choose to wear sometimes can be important, particularly if you've got maybe a special occasion, a wedding or a, or a funeral or you know, a birthday party. Uh, what we choose to clothe ourselves with is important. And in fact, some high-profile businessman and businesswoman and Steve Jobs and Barack Obama and others, have, often they just used to wear the same outfit every day because they said that the average human makes 35,000 choices a day and it's, they don't want to waste choices on what they choose to wear. So they wear the same thing every day, like a uniform, if you like. Um, and today I, I want us to... The reason I say that is because in Paul's letter to the Colossians, he talks a bit about things that we should put off and things that we should put on, maybe a little bit like clothes. Things that he's talking about characteristics, traits, things we should put on, things that we should put off. And we're going to explore some of those today and look at this question of our daily choice. What does it look like to daily follow Jesus? What does it look like to daily be a, a disciple of Jesus, to follow him? And, and you'll see it involves lots of choices and things that we have to do. And so we're going to read the letter, I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll dig around in it for a while. So if you've got a Bible... Colossians 3, starting at verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seek at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you've put off the old self with his practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of his creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so that you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the opportunity that we have this morning to study your word together. And Lord, we... Lord, we're so desperate to know more of you. We don't want to leave the same way that we came in this morning. And so, Lord, we pray, will you quicken your word to our hearts today? Will you open the eyes of our understanding? Lord, will you move in our lives today? Will you help us to understand these truths and, and what they mean to us? Help me as I teach these things. Come by your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, will you be glorified in our midst 
today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I can see in this text three things, at least three things, which Paul kind of gets at when it talks about making our daily choice to follow him and, and living a life of pursuit for Jesus. The first thing is about knowing who you are, the first four verses. Know who you are. And we'll explore that. The second thing he gets at is things that you've got to put off. Verses 5 through to 11, put off these things. Get rid of these things. Put to death these things. And then from verses 12 through to about 16, things that you should put on. Put on these things. And so we're going to dig around in those for a little bit. But we're going to start with what I think is the most important thing. Is the first thing. Knowing who you are. Paul starts his passage and he's so concerned with the people knowing who they are. For Paul, he, he recognised, he understood that what we do is important, but knowing who we are is more important because what we do comes out of who we are. We must know who we are in Christ. And so, so, so Paul really early makes this point. Verse 1, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the hand of God. You've been raised. In other words, the old you is dead. There's a new you now. Jevon says it so beautifully in that video. And he references 2 Corinthians 5.17. You're a new creation. The old you's gone. There's a new you. You're not the same as you used to be. You're different. You've changed. You've been raised. The old you's gone. And so Paul's saying you've, you've got to understand that and you've got to set your mind on those things. You've got to understand those things. Uh, Paul, if you like, is wanting us to help. He's trying to help us to have a lens through which we see our lives. How do you see your life? It's about knowing who you are. And he does that by pointing us to Christ. He does that by pointing us to Jesus, the, the perfect person, the person who was successful in every way and who knew, Jesus knew who he was. He knew exactly who he was. He knew who he was in relation to his father. And he said, I need you to know who you are, that you're sons and daughters of God and everything you do flows out of that. I mean, when you look at the life of Christ, is a great example. Because in our culture now, in our society now, we are told to be very individualistic. It's all about trying to stand on your own two feet, get away from under any sort of authority. But when you look at the life of Jesus, if you read the gospel stories, Jesus didn't crave dependence away from his father. That's not what, what he tried to do. In fact, everything he did was in relation to his father. He craved relationship with him. It starts at Jesus' public ministry. Jesus, as before he starts, God says, this is my son with whom I'm pleased. You see that relation. Often Jesus says, me and the Father, we're one. I love the Father. The Father loves me. I know the Father. The Father knows me. Everything he did was out of relation to his Father, knowing who he was. Even to the point where he submits himself to go to the cross in obedience. It's important that we grasp and that we know these things. And that we use the life of Christ as an example to us. That's what Paul is getting at. He's going, you've got to understand these things. You've got to grasp these things. He puts it so strongly. He says, listen, if you've been raised with Christ. It's interesting, isn't it? Because Paul doesn't say, all right, this is what Jesus did. Now you've just got to try really hard as well. Jesus is, is, is at the right hand of God with the Father. He's gone from, the, from the, if you like, the, the cradle to the cross, from the throne, from the tomb sorry, to the throne. And now he's seated in heaven. He's got to try and be like Jesus. It's not what he says. He says, you know what? You've been raised with Christ and your life is hidden with Christ on high. 
what he's getting at here is saying that, listen, you belong to Jesus. You've, 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 you've died with him. You've been raised with him. You belong to him. To the one who was successful in every way. To the one who succeeded and is victorious in every way. You belong to him. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so what that means is as a believer, you, sometimes you hear Christians saying, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but I'm a failure. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but I can never get free from this sin. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but I can never achieve this, or I can never do that, or I'm no good. I'm a naff Christian. I'm rubbish. No. You've been, your life is hidden with Christ in God. His story is your story. That's what Paul is getting at. Wants to remember, you've been hidden with Christ in God. Nothing can take you out of these hands. And he wants to make it crystal clear to the believers in Colossae. I want to make it crystal clear to us. If we understand these things, friends, it completely changes our perspective. It completely shifts the way that we think about our lives and how we operate and how we do things. And we stop doing things in a place to say, you know what, I'm trying to earn approval and I'm trying, to find, I'm trying to make God love me by doing this and this and this. It's not how we operate. In fact, Paul says this so strongly that he literally commands, he says, seek these things, set your minds. He commands them, he gives them instructions. Because he knows that as Christians, as people, we're so quickly to start thinking of, to kind of have our eyes fixed down and start thinking of earthly things. On a Monday morning when things aren't going well, we're so quick to start, you know, it's difficulty with this and with that and relationships and finances and work. We're so quick to go down the dumps. You hear Christians, you hear people saying things like this all the time. Ah, oh, this is just a story of my life. Oh, this always happens. It's not the story of your life. You're hidden with Christ in God. Paul is saying, I want you to get in line with the truth today. You, you need to get your mind, you need to set your mind on these things, not on all the things that are going on on earth. Set your mind on Christ and things that are above. Maybe that's you today. Maybe to kind of help you understand about what it means to get in line with truth. Uh, when me and Sylvie got married, we went on a honeymoon to Cancun. It's a lovely place. Um, it was two years, just over two years ago. And if you've ever been fortunate enough to go on a plane, you'll know that when you fly, a short while before you land, the, 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 the captain or the pilot sort of comes to, to speak to you. And they've always got a kind of, there's always like a pilot voice, isn't there? It's like, hello, this is your pilot speaking. And you think, oh, okay. And then um, they like to give you a little bit of description. They go, we'll surely be arriving at Cancun. There's a beautiful terrain, sunny skies, blue seas, easterly wind coming in. You think, right, mate, I've already paid for your holiday. You know, you ain't, you ain't got to sell it to me. But they, do, they, give you this little, they give you this lovely description. They say the local temperatures are nice, warm, 28 degrees. All right, great. And then they'll give you the local time. And so the local time is, and, and, you say, and then they often say, you know, if it's Ryanair, they say, another Ryanair flight's arrived on time. You think, yeah, all right. <laughs> but you notice that they give you the local time. Now, you make a choice. Your phone will automatically change itself. But you have to change the time on your watch to get in line with the truth. If you want, you can, I could have walked around Mexico, who are, I think they're five hours ahead or behind, five hours ahead of the midday. No, it's not. It's five o'clock in the evening. I'd be a bit of a lemon, I could walk around like that, but I'm not walking in truth. I'm, I'm believing a lie. You have to, literally, you've got to, you have to get in line with truth. As believers, you have to get in line with truth of who we are in Christ. You have to make a choice. Lots of us chose today as the clocks went forward. I'm going to change the clocks around. You could have continued to live in that lie. There's many Christians who are living in the lie that, we've got, that, that we have to try and earn God's love and his grace. That If I just do enough of this and if I just do enough of that, then God will love me. 
then, then I'll be loved and I'll get God's grace. No, it's not the way. So you've already been raised with Christ. You're hidden with Christ in God. That's who you are. You must know who you are today, friends. Set your mind on those things. In this moment on a Monday morning as well. I once heard someone explain it this way, which I find helpful. Is, uh, speak about X factors. Any X factor fans in, in, in the room? I was more of a Pop Idols fan back in the day. Any pop, anyone remember pop, Hearsay and things like that? Gareth Gatesby, Will Young, anyone? Any? Oh, Tim Gareth. Anyone with me? Amen if you're with me. You know, people are thinking, what is Pop Idols? Well, Pop Idols, that was like the heyday of, you know, English television. Um, and I was, I was a big Gareth Gates fan, but I don't know where I'm going with this. But when you watch these shows, X Factor, they sing and they perform each week in the live shows. And you can see the immense pressure they're under. Because they're trying to make people at home vote for them. They're trying to make the judges make good comments. And if, they're, if they don't do very well and they find themselves in the bottom two, then they've got to do a sing-off. And there's this huge pressure every week to perform to try and get something. Sometimes we live our, our, our lives a bit like that. And there's immense pressure to try. I've got to impress God. I've got to impress people around me. I've got to succeed. I've got to do that. There's immense pressure. It's not a life full of peace and joy and freedom. But you know what I love about X Factor is, is once they've announced the winner, they do this amazing thing, they won, and there's kind of, you know, all things coming out from the ceiling, and there's a big celebration. And they often ask the person, they've got the record deal, they've already won, can, can you sing your song one more time? Sing it one more time, and the person goes, great, and, and they get up and sing it, and they do it with such joy and freedom. Big smile on their face, everyone's with them, because they know that they've already won. They're not trying to win a contract, they've already won. You know what, friends? Our Christian life, because of Christ, we've already won. We live our life in perfect freedom and in peace. We sing that song in joy, knowing that we've already won because of Christ Jesus and his grace. We're not trying to earn his approval. If I just sing well enough, then he'll love me. If I just read my Bible enough, and if I go to enough prayer meetings, if I do this, if I do that. No, we don't do those things to earn his love. We do those things in response to his love. We do, there's a huge difference. We can't get legalistic on these things. If I just do this, this, and this. No, friends, that's not the truth today. That's what Paul is getting at. And you have to hold on to that because in a minute, I'm going to read some verses where Paul does give us instructions. There's things that you do need to do, he's saying. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. As a Christian, we should always want to strive to be more holy and more like Christ in all that we do. It's not an excuse to say, I ain't got to do any of that. But we're not doing it to earn God's love. We're doing it in response to it. So I'm a new creation. And I, and I want to live as a new creation. I want to live like Christ. And so as I read through these things, let's bear that in mind. Because in verse 5, kind of these are the things you've got to put off. Paul, he knows we're new creations, but he knows that some of our old tendencies, some of our old way of life have kind of come with us. And he's saying those are things you've got to put off. In fact, he uses even stronger language. He says you've got to put it to death. It's not just, oh, take them dirty clothes, take them off and put them away. It's not, no, take them off and go and burn them in the garden and get rid of them. You've got to take these things off. And he, and he breaks it down into two categories. Verse 5, the first thing is sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. All of these things come under the umbrella of this sexual immorality. Now, in our society, it's very controversial to try and speak into these issues. You shouldn't give anyone any boundaries in those sorts of issues. In our culture, often people say, oh, you know, you should be able to do whatever you want with whoever you want. And no one should be able to tell you any different. The Bible, Paul, Paul refers to these things, he calls him an idol. 
They're an idol because people are saying, I'm going to be the God of my own life and I'm going to make my decisions in that way. If you're a Christian here today, you have to make a choice. So Paul's saying, you have to make a choice. Am I going to submit to what culture teaches and tells me or am I going to submit to God's word? Am I going to follow the culture and the message of the culture? Am I going to follow God's instructions for my life? You have to make a choice daily. If you're in a relationship here, you have to make a choice. So I've got, I've got to make a choice in these things. When me and Sylvia were going out, we started going out, I was about 22, and you know, uh, friends around my age, uh, God's, relation, God's idea for marriage and sex was not the thing that the culture was telling me. We had to make a choice, we had to have a conversation. We believe this is best designed for marriage, and we're going to do it that way, and by his grace we did. But what you watch on your phone and on your laptop, you've got to make a choice. How you pursue purity, how you speak to the opposite sex, you've got to make a choice as believers. We have to. What are we going to submit to? Culture or God's word? Maybe this is an issue today where you need to come before God in in, in repentance. Maybe you need to do some confessing today. Maybe you need to come before God and say, you know what, I've I've not been living up to to you in this area. Do you know what happens when we do that? The Bible says that we find a grace, a throne of grace and mercy, not of judgment. When we confess and repent before God, he always shows us love and mercy. Maybe you need to speak to someone in the church today and say, listen, I've really been struggling with this area. Brother or sister, say, I, I, I just need some help in this area. They're not going to judge you or, or say, oh, you wave the finger. Well, I hope they wouldn't. They're going to show you love and grace and say, you know what? I want to help you find freedom in this area. Let's do this together. That's, that's what it should look like. Take an opportunity today. Maybe you need to take that opportunity. Maybe you need to come before God and say, God, I... I need help in this area. And there's one thing to say on this very, very, very briefly. A lot of people, before they knew Christ, there was things that they did or whatever, and, and, they, say, and, and they still carry the guilt and shame of that. Christ says, your old self is gone. There's no guilt or shame in it. The old self is gone. You've been raised with Christ. Hold on to that. But it's not the only thing that Paul instructs on. He goes on in, in verses 8. He says, but there's some other things that you need to put off. And this is particularly to do with language and how we speak. He says, put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. With what comes out of our mouth, people say, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speak. God says, I'm concerned about the things that you say. God's God's people, you know, gossip is such a bad thing, isn't it? And gossip often just comes out of a place of insecurity. I'm going to talk about others in a way that's negative, put them down because it makes me feel better. I said, I don't want that. That's not a God language. That's not how God's people speak. That's the old you, but that's been put to death. It's a new you now. You've been raised. So how you speak with one another, these things, they will tear a community apart. They will tear a church apart if we don't handle what we say with, with, with some care. And we're asking God to help us on this issue. And then he, he goes on in verse 9. And do not lie to one another, seeing that, the old self is gone. I'm not going to say too much in this, but what I will say is that if you didn't listen to, if you weren't here for Andrew's message last week, I encourage you to listen to that online. It was a great word around, around this whole issue. And one of the things he said is that, that lies is the, the mother tongue of the, of the devil. John 8 talks about that. That when we lie, we speak the devil's language. That's the old you. The new you know, we don't speak that language. And you know what the biggest lie the enemy tells us is that there's degrees of lies. I know, but you know, it's white lies and little lies and small lies. Read the scriptures. There's no distinction between lies in the scriptures. Oh, it's just a little lie. No, a lie is a lie. And maybe you fall into a habit where you're telling little white lies all the time. You're being deceitful, not being honest. Maybe that's an area you need to bring before God today. 
we can think, oh, it's only a small thing. No, no, it's, it says clear instruction in the scripture. Put it off, put it to death, because it will bring unrest in the church. Paul is, again, saying, look, because all of this is about becoming who we are, but we're being renewed to be the image of our creator. All of us are on a journey of being made more and more like Jesus. We won't be perfectly renewed until he comes again, but we're being renewed day by day. Paul says in Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He said it's a daily journey of making, putting things off. And he's saying that we're being made to be like the image of our creator. And this is it's about what our identity is. And he's, he wants to hammer it. He's saying that means that here there isn't Greek or Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or, or Scythian or, or slave or free, but it's Christ all in all. He wants us to about know who we are. And he mentions barbarians and Scythians because they were, they were some of the most far-flung parts of the empire. They were considered uncivilised and uneducated and violent and, and nasty places. Do you want to go maybe a little bit like Croydon? Um, I don't know if you... Sorry, if you're from Croydon, I'm only joking. I Croydon gets a bad reputation, but I don't mind. I, do, I, I don't like Croydon, but, you know. That's just because I'm not from Croydon. But if you're from Croydon, we love you, we'll pray for you. Um, <laughs> No, I'm, I'm, only, I'm only joking. But what Paul is trying to get at here is he's saying, listen, if, if this is, it's not about where you're from. It's about who you are in Christ. That is primary. That is first. There's no distinctions amongst the people of God. There's no status distinctions amongst the people of God. You can be the highest of the high, the lowest of the low. You're in Christ. He, that's what he's trying to say. It doesn't matter where you're from, you're in Christ. It doesn't matter what your background is, you're in Christ. It doesn't matter if you're from the richest family or the poor, it doesn't matter. You're in Christ. We are one in Christ, one body. No matter what class or, or what race, we're one body in Christ. He wants to hammer that home, knowing who we are in Christ. Again. And so he says, with all this in mind, bearing all of these things, knowing all of these things, who you are, there's some things that I want you to put on. There's some things that I guess you've taken some clothes off, you've made some face, now you've got to put some on. Now there's some, some characteristics that you literally need to put on yourself. And, and this is what he says. He, he says, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So I just want to stop there, in verse 12. Paul, again, comes back to this issue of who you are. Before he gives them a list of things he wants to do, he tells them again, who are you? You're chosen. You're chosen by God. Before, before things were created, God knew you, formed you together in your mother's womb, has prepared good works in advance for you. He knows you. You're chosen. He calls you his beloved. God says, you're my beloved. I love you. And he says, you're holy. That's how he sees you. as holy. You're a saint in his eyes. That's before the list. Notice that? That's before you've done all of these things. No, that's who you are. I don't know how you see yourself this morning. I don't know if I said to you, well, how do you see yourself? Oh, yeah, you know what? I'm chosen, I'm beloved and holy. Probably not many of us that will say that, but this is, what, this is how Paul refers to the brothers and sisters in this church. It's how he would refer to us. If you're a believer here today, you're chosen, beloved, and holy. And it's out of, it's out of that that we do things. Maybe a silly example, but um, sometimes Sylvia might ask me to help out around the house or, or do bits and pieces, and I enjoy doing that. She often gets me to do the washing up, and I've said this before, I'm a, I'm, I'm a great pot wash. Honestly, I am. Um, no, I'm, I'm being serious. I'm really good at washing up. Um, to the point where we moved recently and we got a washing machine and I feel a bit hard done by it. It's like I'm out of work. Um, you know, I've got to find other things to fill my time around the house now. But if Sylvia asked me to do things around the house or to help her out with something, I'm more than happy to do that. I'm not doing those things so that she loves me. 
I don't think if I just do all these things, then Sylvia will love me. No, I'm doing it in response because I know that she loves me and I love her. There's a huge difference between those two things. These things that, that Paul's saying, I want you to do, I want you to be like that, we're not doing it so that God loves us. We're doing it out of response for his love for us. And that is a, it's a strong distinction because we don't want to fall into legalism. No one ever got set free from the law. No one ever got set free from just following all of the law. That's not how it works. Jesus plus nothing equals saved. Jesus plus nothing. Not Jesus plus some good works. Jesus plus a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Jesus plus nothing equals saved. It's only because of Christ. We must understand that. But having said that, he says, but there's some things that I want you to put on. You want to be like Christ? You want to be a believer? You want to follow Jesus? This is what you should look like. And as I read this list, maybe even just do some self-evaluating of these things that I, I, I list. You know, oh, is, that, is that like me? And so this is what he says. He says, I want you to put on be compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgive. If I go through that and you think, yeah, I've got all of those, you're lying. <laughs> you, don't, you don't. There's room for all of us to grow in this. All of us. You know, whoever we are. But if you notice about these things, they all kind of overlap a little bit. If you're someone who has compassion for others, if you're a compassionate person, you're more likely to be kind and caring about people. And if you're kind and caring, you haven't got such a high view of your own self-importance, that you're so arrogant and proud that you're humble and say, no, I'm happy to help out here or there or do this. And if you're that way, you're more likely to be meek. And just a very quick word on meekness. In our culture, meekness is replaced with weakness. People think to be meek is to be weak. You know, if you read Matthew 11, in some versions, Jesus referred to himself as meek. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, they'll inherit the earth. To be meek is simply to say, I'm, I'm willing to be submissive. To be meek is often to say, I'm not going to be the one who, who inflicts injury and suffering. I'm happy to be the one who takes it on. I'm not going to inflict abuse. I'll, I'll take it on. Jesus is the greatest example of meekness. And if we're like that, we're so more likely to be patient with other people and bear with one another and forgive. We've got to be patient. We've got to bear with each other. Listen, there will be people in this church that will get on your nerves. I will probably get on your nerves. There will be people that, listen, let's be honest, to be real, but people, we will rub each other up the wrong way. So there will be some people who just get under your skin and just annoy you. That's life. Paul says you, know, you need to bear with one another and be patient. Because of how patient is God with us? How forgiven is he with us? How often does he bear with us? Some pastors have said, I've heard it been said before, that in every church there is people that they call EGR, which stands for Extra Grace Required. Um, and if you can't think of who that person is, it's probably you. Um, it's, what, it's what they often say. Listen, I know at times in my life I've been someone that people have needed extra grace with. Just ask Ian and Chris. Um, you know... Sometimes in life, there's people who you just need extra grace. Say, God, give me a good... Help me to bear with them. Help me to be patient and forgive them. Because we know that is what God is like with us. And he, said, he says, forgive them. Because why? Because you've been forgiven. You have been forgiven. And then, kind of, Paul says, uh, I guess the umbrella term for all of these things, the things that he really wants for us, he says, is that you would love one another. Love one another. Put on love Funny, isn't it? You've got to put it on. It's a choice. To forgive, to love, to be patient. It's a choice. Do you know what I've often found as well with these things? Is you say, God, help me be more patient. He doesn't zap you with a warm, fuzzy feeling that makes you patient. He gives you opportunities to be patient. 
God, help me to forgive others. He'll give you opportunities. It's a, it's a dangerous prayer. Help me to be more forgiving. He'll give you opportunities to forgive. And when those come along, we make a choice. We put it on. And we put on love. Paul, this is so big for Paul. He says it time and time again. You read 1 Corinthians 13. You can have all the gifts in the world, but if you haven't got love, you're just like a clanging symbol. When he's praying for the Philippian church in Philippians 1, he says, I pray that you would abide and grow in your love for one another. When he writes to Peter, he says, he tells him, love covers a multitude of sins. 1 Peter 4. Here he's saying, put on love. He says, how will Christians be known? In 1 John, he says, how will Christians be known? Well, by their love for one another. He's after a people that love one another, that, that take that action. The response to God's love is that we love others. Sometimes I say, being a Christian is not hard. Love God and love people. That's what Jesus said. First commandment, most important commandment than the other one. Love God with all your heart and soul and, and love your neighbour as yourself. Love God, love people. That's what Paul is asking for here. And the other thing, just as the final thing to say on this list that I love about it, is that it so perfectly embodies the person of Jesus Christ. You look at Jesus Christ's life. He embodied these things so perfectly. He was so compassionate and kind. So humble that Philippians 3 says he didn't consider equality was with God's son to be grasped, but humbled himself to become a servant to the point of, of death. He was meek. He was happy to take suffering upon himself rather than give it out, although he could have easily done that. He was so forgiving. It's the point where people are literally killing him and he's praying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Full of forgiveness. He forgives us time and time again. He's full of love. This is the perfect example of, of Jesus Christ. And you know, we're told to put things on. Well, Jesus too puts things on. When he goes, first of all, he puts on flesh when he comes to be a human, as he does, and he goes to the cross, and then he puts on all of our sin and all of our mess and all of our rubbish and all of our guilt and all of our shame, all the things we've ever said against God, or, and, and he takes it upon himself, literally, and he takes it to the cross. And he's crucified and he dies for it. And because of that, we can know peace with God. He takes the anger and the wrath and the judgment that we so deserved. And he took it upon himself. Because of what the son did, we can know the father. It cost him his life and we get everything. Peace with God, eternal life. What a gospel, what a truth. It is the, the greatest example of sacrificial love the world has ever known and will ever see. And so to close, uh, uh, Paul starts in verse 1 with pointing us to Christ. And he ends in, in verse 17 with doing the exact same thing. He doesn't end with rules or regulations. He ends with a very, very basic principle. A principle that I want all of us to hold on to today and through this week. Whatever you do, whatever you do. Isn't that, uh, there's no distinctions that are oh, maybe on Sundays or when you're with Christians. Whatever you do. Whether you're at work, whether you're at home, whether you're in your house, whether you're with family, whether you, what you do as a brother, sister, mum, uncle, auntie, neighbour, or whether you do at work, when you drive, when you, when you eat, when you, you know, if you're serving tea and coffee, if you're helping out at church, if you're helping out, whatever you do in word and in deed, do everything, everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul ends how he so often ends by pointing God's people back to the all-sufficient Saviour, Jesus Christ, who because of him has mediated and made a way for us through to God the Father. Let's pray and then we're going to worship Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ.
Thank you that because of him, we can be called children of God. Thank you that because of him and his saving work of grace in our lives, we can know perfect freedom and peace. And Lord, we pray. We pray, Lord, help us to be people who daily follow you. Help us to get rid of some of these things. Lord, we repent. We repent of these things that we've neglected and and things that we've been going where we've been submitting to culture. We repent of some of those things. And we say, help us to put on these characteristics. Help us by your Holy Spirit. Help us today, help us tomorrow morning. Why, for your name's sake and for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.